0: I spoke with Rick Whitskin a few days after the U.S. Open, where he won three medals, including a gold with Scott Moore in Senior Pro Doubles. Rick talks about the many ways he's involved with pickleball, and he also gives advice about switching hands, grip pressure, and how to hold your paddle. So let's get to the intro to hear more from Rick. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about Pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Rick Whitskin. How are you doing today, Rick? I'm doing great. It's
1: really exciting to be on with you guys. And, you know, I have a lot of information to share, depending on the questions you ask. But I love the game, and I love all the people promoting the game. And I definitely think podcasts and live streams do a lot for the visibility of the sport. So I'm happy to be part of it.
0: Great. Well... I know there's so many things that I want to talk to you about today, but I do always like to start off with somebody's origin story in pickleball in terms of how did you get started?
1: Good question. About nine years ago, I had a tennis staff member named John Kristen, who lives in Noblesville, Indiana, and he's a 4550 player, introduced me to the sport. And the moment I played, I was hooked. And I actually started more in singles than I did in doubles, which it's kind of a reverse for most of the players we know, but my pickleball connection to ping pong, having played with my four brothers, you know, hours and hours and hours, I just felt a natural vibe to, to get involved in a tennis ping pong sport mix. It was a no brainer.
0: Now you mentioned that you started playing singles at first. Was that because of your tennis background?
1: Yes and no. It was because my coworker worker in instructing tennis uh, introduced me, and he's a really fit 60-year-old that wanted to play singles. And, you know, it, it intrigued me for the fitness and the workout, so I didn't have to go to LA Fitness. I played singles pickleball. <laughs> it was a substitute in the beginning, and then obviously the love of the game developed, and the rest is
0: history. Now, what do you prefer playing now doubles or singles
1: boy that's a loaded question coming out of the u.s open and having 89 degree heat with insane humidity on the first day of the tournament i thought i never wanted to play singles again and i pretty much tapped out in the quarterfinals but my singles results have probably been the best in my first year of pro senior i turned 50 in january so this is the first year i can play pro senior and you know i've pretty much medal in every event except US Open. And you know, I would say singles is has had the best results, but I feel doubles and mixed doubles I enjoy equally at this point.
0: And you had quite a run there at the US Open. Tell me a little bit about the results because I, I know you played with one of the first people that I ever interviewed on the podcast, Scott Moore. So how'd you guys do?
1: So Scott and I, I believe this was our third or fourth tournament and we didn't have incredible success we've meddled, but but just not incredible success in our first few tournaments and you know two tall guys that are used to being kind of the alpha players and maybe playing the odd side a little more took a little bit of a chemistry development but you know he believes in himself I believe in ours and myself and we believed in ourselves going into the tournament so you know we just kind of started clicking at, at the right time and I certainly know he's won a bazillion medals in his life and a lot of them at the U.S. Open so I wasn't worried about his confidence level when we got on the bigger stage and you know having played tennis at a high level professionally and in front of large crowds and in stadiums I really wanted to do well at what I consider the biggest term that I've played in certainly at the pro senior level and so we you know to think about us not losing a game we had some good fortune along the way too but we played good players and we just stayed the course and it just evolved match by match, better play, better play. And, you know, we were both pretty dialed in, locked in, in that gold medal match.
0: Now, you just mentioned that you are, or, or were a professional tennis player. You played at a really high level. I, I think I read some, against some of the players that, you know, you played against. Talk a little bit about that background.
1: Yeah, I was really inspired by my role model and idol, Todd Witzkin, my brother, He was ranked top 40 in the world and he beat Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe and he was number one in doubles beating you know all the top teams playing in the world championships and so seeing him because he was seven years older than me he died in uh, 1998 but uh, he was seven years older than me so I got to see him evolve into this incredible phenom in front of everybody and it made me want to play tennis too and you know winning state championships individually and as a team in, in Indiana and then being a two-time All-American at University of Alabama and having the intention of playing pro tennis for a long career. And I was ranked top 400 after six months of playing college. And, you know, but my brother offered me a job to run, help run an indoor tennis facility and outdoor facility uh, in Indianapolis. And I chose to, to go be with my role model and idol rather than continue on the tour. So I had a good run. He and I played some pro tournaments and did very well. And I'm thankful for the avenue of pro tennis that I took. But Ironically, I feel like my professional pickleball is kind of that substitute for what I didn't have, which was a long pro tennis career due to my choice, kind of revisiting that aspect and now going to play a bunch of tournaments 20 plus this year. It really is kind of quenching that thirst that I left kind of at the altar back in 1993.
0: I've got to ask, you know, how do you find the time to do everything? Cause you know, you're playing all these tournaments, you've got, you know, a tennis program slash pickleball program that you run. You also run pickleball tournaments. How do you, how do you do it all?
1: Well, and, and I actually have a middle school tennis team that I coach and I just pick up the van and we're going at 7am tomorrow morning. So I think more um, synergy between tennis and pickleball helps than I, I believe some people think that there's a lot of oh disassociation between the two but the truth is I don't really practice maybe once or twice a week if I'm lucky I you know I just kind of admire some of these top level pro open and senior players in their training regimens that they post on social media and I think boy I wish I could do that I'm not um jealous you know I have three teenagers at home too and an incredible wife who works hard and I've got to help out here so Honestly, my training is done during tournaments and sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, but I am really in all of the time of effort and hard work that a lot of my peers put into it. And I'm happy that I feel like God gave me athletic ability to kind of, you know, work on the fly into tournaments.
0: Now, did I, did I read an article? I think I maybe saw it on Facebook, right? That you played at the U S open here a few weeks ago, and then you jumped on a plane and went to Dallas and then got yeah. on the court shortly thereafter. Tell me about that story.
1: Oh, boy. That was that was difficult because we actually had the um, bronze medal match in the morning for mixed doubles. My partner, Helen Wilhelm, were playing Mircha Mararu and Julie Johnson. And so we won that bronze medal in mixed senior. And then I knew I had to get a flight by 10 a.m. out of Fort Myers. And, you know, getting the Fort Myers in, through Atlanta to go to Dallas, well, the problem was not Atlanta. I actually missed my flight to Dallas and this was a real frantic situation because I knew my tournament started at 5 PM in Dallas and the next flight after I missed my flight due to the fact that there were six flights out of Dallas into Atlanta. I don't want to ever go through the Dallas or the Atlanta airport again, but regardless, long story short, I got to Dallas. I had the Uber driver drive hundred miles an hour and I got there literally in the nick of time, jumped on the court and won a gold with Amy Yarbrough, who's a good friend and a fellow uh, clinician with me. And basically the the goal there would be to help her get her um, entry into the nationals. So that was all in the same day. And I really slept well that night, but I'm not sure I want to do it again.
0: I bet. And I I lived in Atlanta for about a year and flew in and out of that airport every week. And oh, my gosh, craziness.
1: (laughs) It really is. Six flights to the same city at the same time. I'm from Indianapolis. We don't have these problems.
0: Absolutely. So anyways, back to the podcast here. I just wanted to ask you about, too, is that there's an upcoming tour stop. I think you're hosting the APP tour event here in a couple of weeks, right?
1: Yeah, my wife and I are really, really excited to host this event. We were going to do it last year. Obviously, COVID hit. And, you know, quite frankly, we've got a very accommodating school system That I've been involved with for 21 years, called Zionsville, on the northwest side of Indianapolis, and we are going to transpose a bank of four tennis courts into eight uh, dedicated pickleball courts, along with eight more tennis courts. It'll be 16 um, pickleball courts lined. So we've got about 400 participants. I was lucky to secure a a title sponsor in SME Equity, and you know the I've been traveling all around the country to play these tournaments, and now that the APP tour. I'm playing in Cincinnati next weekend. Then I get to play obviously in my hometown in Zion and then beer city in Michigan. It's nice to kind of have your car and go to these tournaments rather than try
0: and hit all these connecting
1: flights the right way.
0: And so what is it that you like about running tournaments?
1: Good question. Well,
0: you know, my,
1: a lot of my friends are on the pro pickleball circuit. I've gained a lot of friendships over the last eight years. I really like these. These folks, obviously, I'm hosting the tournament with Zane Navratil and top Merchant. And before Zane and all-top were a name, or even myself, we were training in Wisconsin with Dave Weinbach and you know, kind of a foursome just working together. And now we're, you know, a little higher profile, at least in the pickleball world. And the the, the Zane and Altup and I are going to run a clinic beforehand. I can connect my middle school tennis team and teenagers with a free clinic the day before this event, and then just bringing pickleball to the, to the Indianapolis community that's never seen high profile pro pickleball. it excites me to bring it to my hometown. I've been kind of going out to all these different cities and states, kind of, you know, absorbing all of this, but it's really a beautiful thing to have my friends and family and Indianapolis, which I've been in my all, all my life, except for the University of Alabama. I'm super happy to bring the highest level to this community and to Indianapolis.
0: Another thing that I wanted to touch on is the work that you're doing in pickleball with, with kids. Cause it's, you know, it's still a little hard to get the kids into the game. And I know I was talking with a couple other people and they said, one of the best ways to do that is to get the parents involved, but how, how is it working with, you know, you kind of developing the the juniors program that you have going on?
1: Yeah. So last summer we ran a free um, clinic for kids for five weeks And this summer we're obviously going to do a free clinic leading up to the tournament. You know, I'm coaching two middle school teams, one in the fall and one in the spring. And that has collectively 80 teenagers on those teams. I have a daughter that's also a high school tennis player that plays on a team. So trying to connect in that capacity organically is, I will say that it's not as easy as it seems. You definitely have some naysayers that, um, are in their ear about the name of pickleball or about, you know, the tennis elitist doesn't want to see the growth of pickleball, especially at the youth level. So, you know, but I welcome the challenge and the, the the obstacle, and you know, slowly but surely, I believe pickleball at the youth level will continue to grow. And I see a lot of people around the country doing a lot of great things. And you know, it's it's a team. This whole pickleball world is universe that we all need to work together and. You know, for the most part, I see that, and I'm happy for everybody that involves teenagers.
0: And do you see any of those teenagers starting to you know, play in tournaments and take the game more seriously? I absolutely
1: have been asked to give private lessons to, to teenagers in pickleball, which was kind of a surprise. I wouldn't have expected that. I can't say that I know a lot of teenagers that go play these nationally, but I absolutely know CJ Klinger, and you know, there's a, a girl, I believe her name is Alyssa, and I gonna mean, pay attention to these, Wyatt, I pay attention to these players, and really admire, and obviously, Anna Lee, it's just, you know, they're role models for my kids. And I'm really happy to see that. So I think they're the pioneers for the teenagers to follow suit.
0: Now, I understand, too, that you've got a clothing company that you've started. And it, it, how are things going with that at this point?
1: Yeah, to be clear, it's not my clothing company. But I have a partnership with Pickleball Rocks, which is a homegrown Indiana pickleball company that's been here way before I got involved in pickleball. And we're going to have kind of a partnership where they are going to start the Ribskin line of clothing and apparel, wristbands, hats, things like that, and kind of a joint venture there. And I'm really excited to do that because the Ribskin logo is a lot more than a logo.
0: Tell me what that means to you.
1: Ripskin is a line that represents my brother who passed away in 98 of a brain tumor. And when we were on our, his last trip, we were in Utah, Yellowstone, and the bald eagle followed us everywhere. Me and my brothers in this majestic last trip with Todd. And so the bald eagle, along with just my extreme patriotism of loving our country, red, white, and blue, that's what that logo means. When, you, when people see Ripskin, it's got kind of a intense name. My wife named it and I'm happy for her to name that, but it honestly is way deeper than just hitting a pickleball hard. It's it's really about Todd Woodskin and he would have been a great pickleball player too. And boy, how much fun it would have been playing pickleball with him at this level because he would have been amazing.
0: Wow. Yeah. I'm so sorry about your brother, but I, I love you know how you're keeping his memory alive there. Yeah. I appreciate that.
1: He, he absolutely was my biggest nemesis in ping pong and it's one of the few sports I could beat him in, but being on the same side of the net as him was always more fun than being on the opposite side.
0: I bet. All right. Well, I'm going to switch gears and kind of move into just a little bit, bit of a, I'll call it an instructional segment because I read something interesting. And I know this article was probably from a while ago, but I think I read that when you play pickleball at times you use both hands. Is that true?
1: And that is true. I would not say that I've been ambidextrous by nature, but certainly my athletic ability allows me to use my left hand. You know, a lot of times in singles, when I'm really strung out on the on the backhand side, I feel the reach is, is greater. And then obviously, when I'm pulled out on the odd side in doubles, and I'm really off balance, I have a tendency to be able to use that. And then also on the overhead, if they lob over my backhand side, I'm less with some wingspan and, you know, I just have uh, kind of a natural knack to want to switch. And, you know, I never did that in tennis, but I think with the a little bit lighter paddle and, you know, the, the ball going a little slower in pickleball, it gives me time to react like that. And I will tell you, I have coached some students who aren't quite as mobile or have ambidextrous tendencies to use their non-dominant hands in difficult situations.
0: That's really interesting. You know, I have a friend who is is great with using both hands also. And he, he probably switches more frequently because he's a senior so you know, we're all less mobile. But, you know, just in in thinking about that, I mean, do you, do you do that in, you know, did you do that at the US Open in any matches?
1: Yeah, in fact, one was live streams. I think my first match was Scott Moore. We played the team of Marius Mitrofan and Teen Wen. And they oddly continued to lob us. And when they lobbed down the middle over Scott, well, it was actually more over my backhand, I switched to the left hand, and you can see it on the live stream, I hit two forehand, left-handed overhands. But again, it's just kind of where, and it says sometimes I don't use it at all, and other times I use it a lot. I remember playing Tyson McGuffin in singles in the quarterfinals two years ago, the U.S. Open, and I remember switching to my left hand so many times because obviously he hits a ball on a dime and you know if i'm not using my left hand extension i'm getting passed so against him i use it a lot and that wasn't in my game plan so it's more by feel and obvious need than it is structure
0: i like that as a strategy like you said in some situations that it, it definitely makes one other thing i wanted to ask you about too is that i haven't really talked to anybody about how they grip the paddle and I think you were talking about kind of having a a variation in in your grip. Can you kind of describe you know what you teach or what you actually do?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, ironically, I had a lesson today with the three five male player, and his right index—he's a right in player. His right index, for your knuckle, was a little bit to the side. I call it the three o'clock grip or kind of an eastern grip. And I just told him to go move to a little more of a northeast because. You know, and for any of you intermediate level or beginner level players that are listening to this, you know, trying to switch grips between forehands and ends is not going to help you reach your potential. Any high level player will see that you're maneuvering your grip between in a quick exchange and they will certainly capitalize on that issue. So holding it more like a hammer is the obvious way for me and so many pros. But I also think the grip pressure matters. You know, being looser in the grip pressure ready position is is super important than being more firm on the on the volley. I think grip pressure is something I've not heard a lot from some of the other coaches. And I very much uh, emphasize that in my private lessons and clinics.
0: And so can you go into a little bit more detail? Because I, I really do like the idea of the grip pressure, you know, what pressure do you use and what situations on the court?
1: I don't want to give away all my nuggets because I take my show on the road and I'm happy to come to anybody's town that's listening. I've already got 10 different sites stops that I'm going to go, but I will give you one nugget that I use for my students, and that is slow equals soft and fast equals firm. And when a ball's going a little slower, loosening up, lightening up on the grip pressure, the ball's coming faster, firming up on the grip pressure. And this is not just talking about volleys. This could be dinks. This could be transition area, half volleys. This could be baseline drops and whatnot. I use that as kind of a general rule for my students.
0: I do love love that nugget. And just since you mentioned it, talk a little bit about, you know, where you're teaching in the country or if somebody's interested in having you come out somewhere, where's the best place to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah. So TeamWitzkin.com is my Facebook page. Or sorry, my email address at Team Whitskin Tennis and Pickleball is my Facebook page. So they can re- reach out to Rick at TeamWitzkin.com or the Facebook page, and I'm happy to communicate. And I literally was setting up a clinic in Columbus, Indiana earlier this morning and went to San Antonio, Texas two weeks ago with Amy Yarbrough, going to Gainesville in June. And then I'm also going to be going to Nashville. So multiple stops and I'm working on a few others. And while I do have a wife and three kids, teenagers, they understand that this is a big component. I love teaching as much as I love playing. And having coached tennis for 30 years, I think puts me in a little more of an advantageous Um, spot as a clinician and a a coach. Having done this for so long, tennis and and pickleball aren't exact parallels, but I think it's really helped me. And I've really enjoyed some of the positive, just the compliments and the testimonials that I've gotten from students that I've met for a weekend camp versus students. I, I teach some students here in Indianapolis, five privates a week. So I love that aspect too.
0: Perfect. Then I will go ahead and finish up today. I do always at, like to ask the professional players, which pickleball paddle do you use and why?
1: I use the Bantam XL pro. And interestingly, before the U S open, I'd played doubles with the, um, Tempest wave. And because of the softer ball and the humid conditions, I switched to the Bantam XL, which is a little more of a stiff, firm paddle. And it, and it suited me quite well. So I'm a paddle tech sponsored player. I believe in their paddles. The Bantam XL Pro I love. And one other thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, this beautiful sport of pickleball brought me one of my best, one of my very best friend, All Top Merchant, who's a top 10, 15 male pro. He's 48. He and I played in the U.S. Open. We played in the split age division, which I really liked that new event for U.S. Open. And he and I had a run at the US Open that just was equally as important to me as winning the gold medal. With Scott was, you know, all and I, who were basically blood brothers who would do anything for each other, beating teams, you know, with uh, McGuffin and Farius and Loong and uh, Rob Nunnery, Rafa Hewitt. And those guys are all really nice, good guys, by the way. And then their senior pro partners, it just was a really hot day there. And just playing with your your blood brother Altoff. I, I and we were combined age of ninety eight, which was probably the oldest team in the draw. That was a memorable moment of my career, and it's just something that brought tears to our eyes, just because you know there's a ser- serious love of one another there, and I really appreciate the U.S. Open having that event, and I appreciate the the younger pros valuing that event to play in it as well.
0: I love that, and you know I haven't mentioned that. I I, I love the idea of that. Split event, and that's you know a tremendous what you guys did together because, like you said, your combined age was a little higher than I think probably most of the teams. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I'll do it again next year, for sure. Well, perfect. Well, great, Rick. It was so wonderful to have you on the Pickleball Fire podcast here. I really appreciate your time, and I know we covered a lot of ground. and Thank you so much for getting on today. You're
1: welcome. Anything I can do to help in the future? Happy to be here.
0: Thank you thank you for listening to the pickleball fire podcast if you enjoyed the show be sure to give it a five-star review on apple itunes